0: Hello and welcome to Natural Health Simplified, where we help you cut through the noise and provide simple, science-based strategies to help you live a healthy life. I'm Bobby Metta from Blackmores Institute, and today I'm joined by Director of the Blackmores Institute, pharmacist, naturopath, and respected author, Professor Leslie Braun. Today we're going to take a closer look at vitamin D, and in particular we'll focus on some of the latest findings that have uncovered some interesting new health benefits of taking the sunshine vitamin. Welcome to Natural Health Simplified. Leslie... Welcome back. How are you?
1: Yeah, hi, Bobby. I'm so glad that you've got me back here because I love talking about new research.
0: Now, vitamin D is really interesting right now. Before we dive in, can you just give us a brief overview of vitamin D and how do we actually get it?
1: As you said, Bobby, vitamin D is often referred to as the sunshine vitamin, and that's because we can synthesise it in our skin once we expose our skin to UVB rays in the sunlight. The amount of sun exposure required to produce adequate levels of vitamin D is relatively low, though. However, many Australians still don't have adequate vitamin D levels, especially during winter. And I think also with many of us working from home, we're not getting outdoors as much.
0: So is vitamin D deficiency a big issue in Australia?
1: I prefer to think of levels of vitamin D as being either optimal or suboptimal. So optimal levels of vitamin D are somewhere between 50 and 70 nanomoles a litre depending on what journal you read. So that would mean suboptimal levels will be below 50. Now how low you are can be further classified into a mild or moderate deficiency or a severe deficiency. So if you're sitting between 13 to 49 nanomoles a litre, that's considered mild to moderate deficiency. But if your levels are below 13, you've now hit severe deficiency territory. So to answer your question, suboptimal levels of vitamin D are surprisingly common in Australia. In fact, there was a report in Osteoporosis Australia suggesting that more than 30% of Australians have mild to moderate or even severe vitamin D deficiency.
0: That is surprising, especially given that we're blessed with so much sunshine here in Australia. How do you explain that?
1: Well, there's a few explanations. Firstly, the prevalence of suboptimal vitamin D levels is greater in winter, and that makes a whole lot of sense. We tend to be indoors, and there's not a lot of sunshine. But there's also some geographical differences as well. There's a greater prevalence of low vitamin D in the southeastern states of Victoria and also the ACT. But there's also a greater prevalence of suboptimal vitamin D in major cities as opposed to regional and remote areas. And again, I tend to think it's about people staying indoors a lot more than being outside. Mm.
0: Clearly, and as we'll discuss in a moment, vitamin D is important for health. Are there any particular people who are more at risk of not having optimal levels?
1: I tend to split those people at risk into four main categories. And the first one is the very young. We know that babies of vitamin D deficient mothers are at greater risk because they're relying on the mothers for vitamin D coming through the breast milk. And if their mother's vitamin D levels are low, they're also going to be low. Then there's the elderly, particularly those who are housebound or in institutional care. The other thing about being old, unfortunately, is your skin becomes less efficient at turning that sunlight into vitamin D within your skin. The third group is the sun avoiders and they might do this purposefully or inadvertently avoiding the sun. So for example, people who work mainly indoors or those who are being very sensible and using sunscreens and sunblock all the time but not allowing enough sun to be hitting the skin to create vitamin D. And then the fourth group is those who have naturally darker skins because it's then naturally harder for the UV light to penetrate to make enough of that vitamin D.
0: It seems that many of us would fall into those categories. I guess that goes uh, a long way to explaining Mm -hmm. the prevalence of suboptimal levels of vitamin D, doesn't it?
1: Oh, that's right. There is one other factor that people don't think about, and that's obesity. So vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, which means that those with a higher body mass index, or BMI, have more body fat stores. And these can act like an impound for the vitamin D that's made in the skin or ingested. So the higher your BMI, the higher your risk of deficiency. And even for certain drugs like cholesterol lowering medications and even alcohol intake can influence how your body absorbs vitamin D.
0: So let's talk doses now. What would you typically suggest in these instances?
1: Well, the general recommendation is 1,000 international units a day, typically taken in a supplement. But personally, I recommend about 2,000 international units a day. And this is based on some research that we did at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne to have a look at what was the right dose in order to raise levels quite quickly to the optimal amount within about six weeks. Mm -hmm. And it was around 2,000 IU a day.
0: It can still take some time, though, can't it?
1: Definitely. It can actually take several weeks. In fact, for some of the people in our study, it took almost three months to get to that optimal level.
0: Wow, that is a long time. Um, Now, I'm hoping you can help me with a pet peeve of my own. (laughs) Uh, I've heard vitamin D referred to in different ways, ergocalciferol and cholecalciferol being just two, and that can be quite confusing. Can you explain the difference for me?
1: Yes, and they're very long words, too. (laughs) Look, the thing to remember is that there are two main forms of vitamin D. There's vitamin D2 which is also known as that ergo-calciferol or calcitriol. And then there's vitamin D3, which is also known as colicalciferol. So whilst we can find both D2 and D3 in supplements, the D3 is the type that we manufacture within our bodies from the sun. And D2 is the typical form you're going to find in D-containing foods. So mushrooms, for example, are often touted as a good source of vitamin Mm. D, and it is, but it's the D2. And you find the D2 in oily fish, egg yolks, and also in butter. So our bodies need to convert the D2 from these food sources into the more active form. And the more active form is the D3 for it to be really well used across many different functions in the body.
0: Right. So D2 from food, D3 from the sun. That's it. Get it. That certainly makes things a lot clearer. Uh, Let's move on now and talk about the functions of vitamin D. It's widely known that vitamin D is good for bone health, but there's much more to it than that.
1: Yes, that's right. And that's probably because people are aware of seeing those pictures of kids with rickets, which is what happens if you have very severe vitamin D deficiency when you're young. But it's so much bigger than that. It's important to note that vitamin D is really important for muscle strength, for our nervous system and mood, for blood sugar regulation, for skin health, and also the health of our cardiovascular system.
0: And there seem to be so many studies at the moment looking at vitamin D. It seems to be a really hot topic right now.
1: Mm -hmm. It is. Every couple of weeks, we're seeing a new vitamin D Mm -hmm. study coming through. I think a lot of this has got to do with the fact that there's a very clear connection between vitamin D and the immune system, particularly respiratory function as well. Um, But there's really two bits of interesting research that I want to talk about today, and that's vitamin D and its role in depression, but also its role in diabetes. Now, the first study is actually a meta-analysis. So again, it's one of those um, statistical mega trials where they put all the trials together and they analyze all the results. And I think these findings are really exciting because it shows that vitamin D supplementation might be a promising solution to managing major depression.
0: Really? That's astonishing. I've never come across that before and it certainly shines a totally different light Mm -hmm. on vitamin D and its properties. But what's the connection between vitamin D and the brain, specifically with regard to depression?
1: You're absolutely right. This is really new. In fact, no other meta-analysis has looked at whether or not vitamin D supplementation could be beneficial in clinically depressed individuals. So it's pretty amazing stuff. The authors looked at three areas where vitamin D was linked to depression. Firstly, the lowest serum levels of vitamin D in depressed individuals compared to controls who didn't have depression. Secondly, the presence of vitamin D receptors in various parts of the brain. And thirdly, the role of vitamin D in regulating inflammatory pathways that have been found to be associated with depression. So the findings show that vitamin D supplementation was useful and favourably impacted markers of major depression. And when you look deeper into what those markers were, it was mood, self-dislike, sleep disturbances, and also social withdrawal.
0: And I guess it's even more amazing considering that a vitamin D is a fairly low-risk supplement and it's also fairly inexpensive to purchase. It's definitely an area to monitor, I guess, and especially given the concerns that some people have around the use of antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leslie, what was the second study that you wanted to share with us?
1: Well, the second study comes from the US and it used data from 8,000 volunteers. It found that increased levels of vitamin D were, along with other benefits, associated with a decreased prevalence of diabetes.
0: Again, that's not something many of us associate with being the Mm-mm. primary benefit of vitamin D, is it? Was there a big difference in the prevalence of diabetes?
1: Well, it was actually very significant. Researchers found that individuals with less than 30 nanomol per litre of serum vitamin D had approximately 183% higher diabetes prevalence compared to those that had that higher level above 75 nanomol. In other words, a higher serum level of vitamin D. This translates to a 70% increased risk of having diabetes in those that had the low vitamin D levels, which is huge.
0: That's certainly some pretty impressive numbers. Uh, Did the study find anything else?
1: The authors of the study did recommend more studies because clearly this is a starting point. It's very exciting, but there needs to be a lot more work to validate this and really understand what this means. Now, I think the thing that's also interesting here is that the study found that those people with the highest serum vitamin D had improved cardiorespiratory fitness, and this relates to the protective effect of vitamin D on lung function.
0: Who would have thought, as well as its role in bone health, vitamin D would also play a role in depression, diabetes, and now you've just mentioned their lung health as well?
1: I know, and there's so much more beyond this. So I guess that's why we call vitamin D a star nutrient. Um, But there's one other thing that I came across recently in the US, and it was published in a really prestigious journal called Nature Communications. And this study investigated the relationship between levels of vitamin D and, of all things, the gut microbiome in over 500 older men. And it found a strong correlation between vitamin D metabolites and gut microbiome diversity. Who would have thought?
0: Well, with all the interest recently in gut health and healthy bacteria, that's bound to lead to further research and additional studies, I guess.
1: Absolutely. The status of our microbiome, which is all of those microbes that live in and on our bodies, has been shown to play a major role in our health and it always generates huge interest. So watch this space in vitamin D research. It's pretty groundbreaking.
0: Thanks so much, Leslie. It was fantastic to share your knowledge of some of the lesser-known benefits and the latest research related to vitamin D.
1: Thanks, Bobby. With vitamin D, watch this space. It's changing so quickly.
0: Absolutely. And I hope you've also enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I look forward to you joining me again soon for another episode. I'm Bobby Mehta, and this has been Natural Health Simplified. Until next time, goodbye for now.